Hey everyone, welcome to this week's podcast uh, for Locative Media. This week we're focusing, uh, so this is the second of the uh, objects section uh, of the course. Uh, last week we focused on uh, cartographic media, so GPS and GIS. This week we're focusing specifically on mobile media, so that includes everything from mobile phones and tablets to other forms of mobile media like wearables so like the apple watch or other smart watches um, and also increasingly uh, devices like action cameras um, so gopros uh, and other smart mobile devices and i suppose you might include things like drones and unmanned unmanned aerial vehicles in that particular set um the reason this week has been put together. So there's two readings. Uh, the first is by Ingrid Richardson. It's quite an old one from 2005. I think Richardson's work offers some of the best and I suppose clearest phenomenological uh, approaches to trying to understand the specificity of mobile media. So this big distinction between being able to see something on a computer screen in your house to being able to travel around with a device that has a range of different functions and, and what that means to have this mobile, what she calls itinerant devices. Uh, the second piece is by Deborah Lupton on data valence, looking at the way in which uh, different forms of self-tracking um, and self-numeration um, becomes part of, I suppose, this movement which is both on the consumer end uh, but also very much pushed by large tech companies called the quantified self. So this idea that with the mobile device, you're, you're able to track yourself uh, in a range of different ways. And the reason I wanted to talk specifically about mobile media, um, so last week we looked at cartographic media, so GPS and GIS and how we can construct space in this very cartographic way. The reason I wanted to look at mobile media specifically, is that if you've started already doing the labs, particularly the Android Studio Labs um, and into Unity, you'll begin to see there's actually quite a big difference in the way in which media are developed for web browsers compared to the way in which they're developed for specific devices. So in this case, um, for the Android Studio, we're developing for Androids, but it, it's a similar kind of thing if you're developing for uh, the iPhone or for the Apple Watch, etc. Uh, and so not only do these devices often have their own coding languages, so we're coding it in Java for Android Studio just because that's easier, but you can also code in Kotlin uh, and similarly iOS uses Swift, so they've got their own coding languages. But because of the nature of the device, you're not just coding for a computer, but you're actually coding in a whole range of different permissions that are managed very specifically by your app and by the operating system of that device. And furthermore, if you, when you get to the augmented reality uh, section, and I think it's a little bit less obvious when you're developing for Android as when you're developing for iOS, because in iOS we actually have to set the permissions manually to use different features like the camera and location tracking. But you actually are able to access a range of different hardware artifacts that are part of those mobile devices 
uh, to gather data, um, to produce data, uh, to create different kinds of representations. So that's not just your location data, but also camera data. And so this is why I wanted to focus very specifically on mobile media as a category that is distinct to just any kind of internet-based digital media, like just that's different to even a laptop or a computer, like these mobile application-based devices. Uh, and so... Uh, yeah, so I wanted to just yeah take today uh, just to focus a little bit more on that. And I think if we start thinking about mobile phones, so when Richardson wrote um, Mobile Technosoma back in 2005, the mobile phone was only really beginning to become an everyday kind of device. And at that point, if we think back to the old Nokias um, around the turn of the century, so around 2000, you had a phone, and that was the primary purpose of the mobile device. I mean, the internet was only just beginning to be released into, uh, like, th sort of 2G. Uh, um, data roaming was only just beginning to be a thing that was around. Um, and the primary purpose of the phone was to make calls, was to send text messages and the text message is also a very specific uh, a, a device that's quite specific to the mobile phone and I remember reading uh, papers in the early 2000s around mobile phone use so I think I bought my first mobile phone when I was in 2001 uh, which was like a little Nokia um, but generally commentators and critics uh, academics and researchers as well um, on mobile device trends were quite surprised that the text message took off as one of the key modes of communication used on the mobile phones. This idea that the text message, which had to be, I think, maybe 160 characters long or something, something like that, um, became this primary mode of communication. Because in the very beginning, you'd pay per so you, the call you'd pay per minute and it wasn't very cheap uh, but uh, for a text message you'd pay per letter so if you think about the way in which all of these different shortenings uh, have occurred like the abbreviations of particular words like you know lol or wtf etc or np for no problem um if you're paying per letter that you're sending, then you actually create these ways of communicating with less letters. Uh, and so you, you kind of get this new rise of a mode of communication um, through the mobile phone, where the mobile phone isn't just used for calling anymore. It's not just a phone that you can take with you. Um, it's also a messaging device. So it becomes much more like a pager. And then throughout the, the 2000s, new features begin to be introduced to phones as well. So uh, you get GPS in 2007. Um, so suddenly phones are now also GPS devices. Uh, you get cameras. And think about 2005, um, you're getting these, the phone is now not just for calling, uh, for texting, but it's also for taking pictures. Uh, you get with the iPhone, the combination of a phone and a music device as well. So the iPod used to be a separate device, uh, or the Discman, uh, 
or let's go all the way back to the Walkman. So you have this whole history of different music listening devices and now suddenly the phone is also a Walkman. It's it's your own personal um, iPod if you use an iPhone. Um, and in fact, they've actually discontinued some of the best iPods uh, as well because the, the iPhone has sort of taken over. Uh, so you've got cameras, compasses as well. So you can actually use your phone as a compass. Um, the torch was included as a way of actually being able to uh, see. And I think, again, if we think in the last 10 years, the shift of the role of the phone, both as a device that can capture anything anywhere as being used as a recording device. And we think back to the um, discussion around um, the role that the camera had in um, events like the... Um, killing of or murder, I suppose, of, of George Floyd. Um, you can see how the addition of the camera to the mobile phone has, again, reshifted uh, these types of politics. The torch um, becomes this kind of protest space to, to be able to show numbers in dark. So you kind of see it at concerts where people will be showing their torches as a kind of candle um, on, their, on their phone. Um, but similarly... Um, you know, for vigils as well. So in Hong Kong, uh, during the protest there, there were a lot of uh, the use of torches as a way to demonstrate the sheer number of people at nighttime protests or vigils. Um, so you've got torches. You get the inclusion of an accelerometer as well. And I think this is really interesting if you compare the accelerometer to uh, GPS. So with GPS, um, obviously, it's a, a satellite connection um, on the electromagnetic spectrum. Uh, in the radio end, that gets sent between uh, the phone and satellites and different control segments. Um, whereas, and, and it measures how fast you're going by measuring your point at a given point, sort of your, your coordinate at a certain time, your coordinate at, you know, after a certain amount of time and after a certain amount of time, and actually just calculates uh, how fast you're going based upon how far you're traveling over time, so distance over time, whereas the accelerometer is actually comprised of these tiny little crystals that can sense change. Uh, and so the accelerometer, it's terrible for measuring distance, um, but it can tell how fast you're moving just by the rate of change in these crystals. And it's actually interesting because... So um, popular games like Run Zombie Run uh, don't actually use the GPS um, which is why people can play um, Zombies Run at the, at the gym. So you can actually be on a treadmill uh, and measure how uh, fast you're going. So it's actually, it measures, you know, when it wants you to run fast to run away from the zombies. Um, I don't know if you actually know what the game is. So basically Run Zombies Run or Zombies Run, depending on which version you're using, is a jogging game where you listen to music um, as you're jogging around your neighbourhood and then at certain intervals this terrifying sound will come saying the zombies are near, they'll get you and you have to run really, really fast to get away from them. And then after a period of time you, you escape them and you go back to running, you're running, running, running and then the zombies come again. Uh, and so the way that it measures whether or not you're running fast enough to get away from the zombies is not through GPS triangulation but actually through the changes in the accelerometer crystals. Uh, and so it's much more relational uh, it's a much more relational form of, of measurement than uh, the coordinate system, which still you know relies on this absolute Cartesian kind of uh, system. 
which is really interesting. Um, well, at least to me, that's really interesting, this use of the accelerometer. And I think, you know, the major issue, of course, is that it can't measure distance because even though it knows how fast you're going, because it can measure the change between how fast you were going and how fast you're going now, uh, it actually doesn't know how far because everyone's stride is quite different. So you actually, if you want to make it work for distance, then you actually need to measure how far um, each of your steps are when you're running at certain paces. Um, so it's less good for that. But again, I still think it's really interesting because it introduces this whole new set of questions around measurement, around the quantification of our body um, and the way in which these devices sit ambiently all the time on our person. So they're in your pocket. Um, I think what's become particularly interesting is that with the introduction of new uh, new wearable devices, um, and they're kind of like, so if you look at the iPhone and the Apple Watch, the Apple Watch doesn't actually operate independently of the iPhone. Um, it needs to be within proximity of the iPhone in order to work. It's more like an extension of the iPhone. And, and the Apple Watch also has an accelerometer in it, um, which is again used for measuring your speed when you're jogging, etc., um, rather than actual distance. And what's really interesting is that um, basically a whole range of different uh, companies in East Asia, in China and Japan, started producing incentives for employees to... Uh, if they were being healthy and they did exercise, they would get certain kinds of incentives. Um, and so you kind of see this rise of a new device which can sit on your desk while you're working that actually mimics the movement of running. Um, so it actually, you can put your Apple Watch on this. So it looks like that you're doing exercise because obviously Apple Watch itself is changing in this kind of relational thing. Like you're not going anywhere. Um, you're not even doing any exercise, um, but the relationality is still there. Um, and I think, of course, this creates this whole sort of set of new questions around, well, what is a baseline measurement? Um, what, are we re what are we measuring against? Uh, what does speed without distance mean? This idea that I suppose it's kind of the opposite of the whole time-space or space-time compression argument that, that Giddens makes, which is the idea that space is compressed because you can go further in less time than you've ever done before. Um, and now we can actually go nowhere for a longer time um, because of things like these uh, desk-based Apple Watch devices uh, and um, treadmills, etc. So I think that's really interesting. And I, I wrote a very peculiar piece that I wouldn't necessarily recommend um, reading a couple of years ago with uh, two of my colleagues on the Apple Watch. We bought the Apple Watch um, under some grant money when it first came out uh, before it sort of was popular again. Uh, and um, tried to use it. And it was it was a total, I mean, the accelerometer, when you're on a bus, it would measure you as moving if the bus was particularly jolty or on a, on a particular route. So you kind of get this whole new ghostliness, um, this more relational way of, of measuring um, that has less to do with your located context and more to do with embodied change regardless of context and I think that's particularly interesting and that's that's very unique to mobile devices so you get the accelerometers uh, you get things like calculators um, you get web browsers as well so suddenly 
the phone becomes a computer. Um, increasingly, uh, bigger devices like iPads are becoming like drawing pads as well. So they're actually becoming um, canvases. Uh, you're also this new thing that's kind of happening um, with the with the Apple Watch. These new um, watch extensions. You're also getting uh, heartbeat monitors. So there's actually like sensors um, that can sense your heartbeat. I think they're infrared sensors um, that put against your skin will measure your heartbeat as well. And so you're getting these new modes of, of tracking as well that are really, really rather intimate. Um, and I, I find this, the heartbeat sensor to be a very intimate mode of ambient tracking uh, because it kind of, in a way reaches into your body and extracts this data uh, and again when I was writing this article on the Apple Watch <laughs> we all found that um, but particularly me because I'm you know a, a relatively anxious kind of person that we entered into this weird relationship between what we were seeing as data that we knew that probably wasn't a c correct and our own embodied experience of of being uh, as well. I think this really kind of strikes the heart of, of what both Richardson is saying about this kind of phenomenological way in which you are with technology or we are being with technology. And she's, she's quite a high Heideggerian and I don't necessarily agree with uh, that approach. And I'm not necessarily promoting it, but I do think it gives us something to think about, you know, what does it mean? Like when you've, your phone's out of battery or when you've lost it or you've left it somewhere, this kind of sense of, of absence that you have, um, you begin to relate to the world through this device and it has a, a material kind of quality to it. Um, and again, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to focus a whole week on mobile devices specifically because they do have this material quality uh, that you travel with them. And, you know, what, what I was saying about the Apple Watch was that because I actually have relatively thin wrists compared to the rest of my arm because uh, I was a piano player for many years and so I've got these really beefy forearms. The uh, watch would keep slipping down uh, and becoming quite loose and as a result my heart rate kept dropping uh, as it was being monitored because it would lose contact with my skin and of course me, you know, having this relationship with this device and kind of in the in the process when you stop to know when you stop noticing it you, you begin to lose some of the criticality I kept having these terrible concerns that I was having a heart attack because I had very little heartbeat data and I think it raises this big difference like you can feel whether or not you, you can feel what your body is doing you can feel the way in which uh, you know it's operating or not but then to see data that contradicts that, to kind of quantify your own existence, really casts your own experience of your body into doubt. So for me, I find that really interesting as well, this kind of extension. Um, but at the same time, there's really interesting things as well. So we're sort of seeing as well the rise of, um, for instance, period tracking apps uh, for people who menstruate. Um, and that's actually giving rise to a whole new way of thinking about bodies uh, that kind of counters the, I suppose, observational and consulta consultational eye of the clinic. So the clinic is set up to be observed. So a patient observes, they report their symptoms. 
um, in a 10-minute period of time uh, and then they go away. Um, whereas things that like illnesses that are chronic um, or other issues that are chronic tend to happen over a much longer period of time. Uh, they have ebbs and flows. And so uh, actually this kind of monitoring is enabling some of that to be visibilised. I, I often think my dad had to wear a heart monitor for a couple of days because um, he kept having these weird heart things. Um, and actually, you know, it took him three days before this weird um, heart event worked and he had to wear this monitor the whole time and again people who wear pacemakers similarly and now have these devices inside them where my um, partner's stepmother I suppose has this pacemaker where she can actually scan her chest and that that scanning takes the data out of the pacemaker and sends it to her cardiologist um, so we're getting like it's not just these apple watches these mobile media that are outside the body but they're increasingly becoming part of our bodies as well they're inside our bodies uh, as well and I think really this distinction starts to get quite blurry and I mean it's always been blurry in a very philosophical way um, but in a hardware based way it's becoming much 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 more blurry um, so you get the heart rate monitors with things like the Apple Watch uh, so you get these new kinds of um, mobile devices I'll talk a little bit more in the final week about other devices like uh, Google Glass AR and VR just because they, they continue this legacy but they are a, a little bit still a bit of a question mark over them I suppose um, and they, they very firmly fit within this category of mobile media but I want to talk to them a little bit more specifically particularly as well because we're developing an AR uh, device um, and because you can't you don't put Google Glass away um, so there is a difference there as well um, but, you know, the camera, uh, you, so you're getting these new kind of camera softwares where cameras can now, you know, you've got infrared sensors. What else do we have? We have, um, so the new iPad uh, has just been released with LiDAR as well. So actually it has got LiDAR mapping. Uh, so you can use it to uh, map space, which I think opens up again a whole new range of different possibilities in terms of the way in which you map space I mean traditionally so when you do the AR uh, mapping on your camera for your phone in the final unity lab which I'm just about to record uh, you'll see that the camera itself like there's two different functions you can use the camera can just be just a camera um, that then shows where things are in space um, but also you can actually use the camera to and uh, sort of image processing software to find surfaces. So if you were to do the tabletop IR rather than the um, world scale AR, uh, your camera would actually map a surface on which you could put some sort of AR object. Um, but now I've sort of, I think I'm digressing a little bit. So you get the Apple Watch, which becomes this kind of extension um, increasingly you're getting a lot of different biodata options as well so um, it's not just the fact that you can record your information um, into the apps you've got the um, you've got like Apple Watch um, recording your heartbeat 
Your smartwatch can now link to your smart scale as well. So that's not a mobile device per se, but actually is yet another mode of measurement. Well, I suppose it is mobile because it does move, but you don't carry it with you. Um, but you can also do things like measure your temperature. Um, so there's all of these different possibilities that are being included uh, in these mobile devices. And I think for me, what's really important when we think about this uh, is this question of interoperability, um, which is a term that Briganti uses, um, and I've sort of expanded on a little bit, to try and understand the way in which different systems um, or different information can speak to each other. And so when you develop your map in a web page or in a web browser, the first map that we developed, it's cool and everything. You can click on it. It's all fine. Um, but you're still kind of limited in, in the way in which you can actually make that app work. If you're, uh, if you're developing for a mobile phone, then you actually have access to this whole range of hardware that you could use. Um, so you can actually get access to all the hardware in the phone. And I think, so I've got here, I think my phone's a 2016, 2017 iPhone something or other. Um, I'm just going to go, there's Bluetooth as well. Um, I'm just going to have a look at some of the hardware on this phone. Hmm. Uh, um, oh yeah, this is what I forgot to say as well. So I've got access to battery power as well. Uh, voice recognition. So the phone has traditionally been, you know, you can speak and hear through it, but now the phone is also a microphone as well as a, um, like a recorder. It can record um, your sound. It can also be a speaker, so it can make noise. So it's a media player as well. It can play videos. Um, so I'm just looking at all the different kind of hardware on my phone. Um, and increasingly what I think is interesting as well is that it uses um, biometrics to measure like your um, fingerprints. So when I did my application in the UK um, to be a permanent resident, we did that via a phone and we had to put our fingerprint, like our thumbs on the phone and it used the fingerprint ID. And it's funny because you couldn't use a, an iPhone, you had to use an Android phone uh, to do it. Um, but it used the capability of fingerprint ID uh, to create this whole new level of personal securitization through your mobile device. But lots of people use touch ID or, or fingerprints to get into their phones. Um, your phone is now also a bank card. Uh, so you've got all of this financial information as well. So whether that's GPay or um, Apple Pay. So you've got this, again, new inclusion of, of bank cards. And I remember, I mean, this is still fairly recent uh, in the US and um, plenty of places, but I remember that being able to be the case um, a long, long time ago in the middle of the 2000s at least um, in places like South Korea and Japan. Uh, so you have all of these different um, kinds of tools that you can use. Of course, it's a map device as well. Uh, you can and, and from these basic sets of hardware, you can then really um, dig down into some of the other 
affordances of the phone itself. I'm just trying to think. Uh, um, so, yeah, you've got like your Bluetooth, uh, etc. Um, and then you've also got like its receivers as well, like the um, GSM receivers, the IMEI codes. Uh, you've got all the different bits and pieces that have to work to make things like the GPS available uh, as well. Um, and then, of course, whether or not you can use 5G. Um, some phones, I think... They're planning on trying to make them into little mini projectors as well. So you can project things. Um, so basically the point I'm sort of trying to make here is that actually uh, there is a whole range of different uh, tools that your phone actually encapsulates. And then if you start seeing your phone as one of, of many different objects, so not just smartphones but smart watches. Um, bracelets as well, so things like Fitbits. Um, you actually get this whole host of different devices uh, that can do different things, that have a whole range of different hardware that can be, I suppose, captured by the same piece of software or called into, into being used. And so this is what I mean by interoperability, this idea that if you were to make an app for a phone... Uh, it's possible that you could use just the GPS, and we've, we use the location quite a bit in the labs. But you can also ask for permission to use the accelerometer. You can also use ask permission to use uh, the camera. You can ask permission to use the phone. Uh, you can ask for all of these different permissions. That means that the app isn't just a web page. Like, it's not just a web page. It's just on a web site. But it's actually a whole program uh, that can combine together different kinds of data gathered from different kinds of hardware because there are so many different kinds of hardware encapsulated in the phone. Uh, and there was a great game, and I forgot to look it up before I started recording this, that actually really showed you that because it got you to play with your settings. Um, and let me just have a little game that Um, yeah, it was this game, and I'll put it on the Slack because I'm not sure that I can really remember uh, what it was called. Oh, also a touch screen as well, so that's kind of part of the touch ID, but the idea that you've got this screen that can be touched and drawn on as well, which is, again, different to a computer, and if you've tried to... Huh, that's my phone going. It's also this constant alarm clock, a clock as well. Um, so it keeps the time... It, it, has its own uh, time zones as well, which, again, um, I can't remember when that started happening automatically, uh, but you used to have to change your, your phone clock to a new time zone when you moved, um, but now obviously they're all linked to the atomic clock. Uh, uh, but you can basically access all of these different... Uh, games. Maybe it was called Threes. Uh, no. Um, I'll look it up and I'll put it on the Slack. But basically, yeah, it was this game that you had to solve puzzles. Uh, and to do that, 
you had to go and change different settings all across your phone. So you had to do, change your brightness setting or turn your Bluetooth on or off or do all this kind of stuff. Like your phone can actually operate as mouse as well. Um, I know I'm kind of really hitting home the point here and sort of over arguing, but I think for me, this is probably the most interesting thing about this new range of mobile media is that you can get a whole range of different data. So you can get accelerometer data, you can get GPS data, you can get visual, like photographic data, and you can bring it all together and text data, calling data, and you can bring it all together in a single uh, application. And in doing so, you can actually make all these different ways of expressing or engaging with spatiality together as well. Um, and so I think the clearest example that we all use is the difference between looking up Google Maps on your phone versus on the computer. Um, and not just in the versus difference between the app and the um like the um like a web browser on your computer either, but the fact that when you go to something like the Google Maps app, uh, if you open it up, uh, you can you can see a lot of things um, on your own um, that you can normally see. I mean, you can locate yourself, which you can also do on a web browser. But the the bringing together of different kinds of data, like the directions data, so this idea that it's not just figuring out where the traffic is or where you need to go, but you can actually use your phone then as a TomTom -tom or a navigational device. Uh, the fact that it can link you to uh, the um, the uh, website, so you can actually go straight into web browser. You can call the uh, place as well. You can call the business um, straight from your phone. So you kind of get this... Um, it is interoperability and I suppose it's not only accumulation, compression of different media functions into a single device. Um, you can take photographs and upload it. Um, and I've been doing a lot of that recently using QR codes. Um, now that in Britain, we're not allowed to pay f with cash for anything, um, which is a major problem. But for months and months and months, we haven't been allowed, allowed to use cash in any businesses um, in order to stop the spread of COVID. Uh, and so also then a lot of businesses have actually stopped implementing any kind of face-to-face -face ordering scheme. So you go to a cafe, you sit down, you take the QR code on your table uh, and you uh, order through the app. Um, and then, of course, you pay through the app. Um, so you can either put in your card details or I use Apple Pay. Uh, so again, this compression of all of these different functions uh, into single digital spaces um, single processes and I think I don't know I just think this is really interesting um, and I think then when we start to think about something like the quantified self and um, how we experience being with mobile media is that the more we use things like I mean I go out I the phone is now the most important device that I carry with me um, it used to be my wallet but now my phone is my wallet uh, you could even use probably your phone as your keys if you wanted to. Um, but, like, you know, the more and more uh, we begin to... The more and more functions we begin to sort of put into mobile devices, it is more interesting, I think, for us as, as app developers 
but uh, it also increases our habitual reliance on the phone. I think for me, less perhaps this phenomenological sense and more of a kind of an understanding of the habitual of habitus. Um, so less Heideggerian and more Pierre Bourdieu of like just, or even I suppose de Sateau who, who takes Bourdieu's stuff, I think into this much more spatial level, but you become used to something. You become used to having it with you. You feel naked without it. Um, and you get this, I suppose, increasing reliance, and it seems to be increasingly benign as well. The phone seems to be increasingly benign. And I think when we sit down and look at all the ways, and I, I think this is why I really wanted to um, give you the chance to try and make an app, you sit down and look at all of the ways in which we ourselves are quantified through our phones, from credit card numbers to... Oh, what are we trying to do? We're trying to download an app. Oh, yeah. We're on the um, NHS COVID app, uh, downloading, um, trying to get a, a test sent to our house. And it was asking us for things like our national insurance number, which is like our social security number, as well as our NHS number, which is the number that links directly to our medical records, as well as our address, as well as our phone number. And we're taking pictures of barcodes when the... Uh, tests finally came and they were being uploaded I mean, this whole quantification of the process um, as well as the way in which we are quantified according to you know the different like our, our bluetooth number our i mm, our ip address i was like isp wasn't ISP, the internet service provider ip addresses um our imei addresses uh, all of these different numbers that exist within the phone already and then then we can go around and find new ways of turning our identities and our bodies into numbers as well. So through, you know, the, the creation of, of monitoring of this quantification as of, of, of the self as well. Um, so, for instance, I used um, a health app, the health app on the on the Apple Watch for a while, and so that would um, measure how far I walked. Um, how many steps I did, like a step counter. Um, so suddenly my engaged mobility was reduced to a certain number of steps a day. I'd get little awards every time I use it. It would measure my heartbeat. Um, so the, the blood flowing through my body becomes quantified in this kind of way. And I mean, if you wanted to, you could make an app uh, and it wouldn't be particularly difficult to get that uh, heart rate data and, um, I don't know, make visualizations with it to... Um, so if you think back to like the sort of emotion mapping, and there are plenty of people who go around, they, they do themselves up with sensors. So like sensors that can sense sweat or body temperature or uh, air pollution, et cetera. And they walk around um, uh, how, how much you breathe. So your um, heart rate, your blood pressure, like you can get all these different sensors and you can walk around. And, and um, if you walk around with a GPS, people have been sort of mapping these pathways um, a guy I used to work with, Johnny Huck at Manchester, has been doing some work particularly on that as a way of trying to map the sensory experience of being in space. And the thing is, is that this enumeration is less and less radical and more and more commonplace. And so if you use Strava or you speak to people who use Strava, you know, the, the recording of a trip, the notes that you write, the sharing it with friends creates these whole, not just quantified selves, like it's not just you who's being quantified through this digital 
uh, device, but actually like society. Um, and, you know, the camera quantifies us as well. We looked at that, um, the way in which, you know, machine learning can be quantified. Like it just, it all kind of pins together. And I think the specificity of the phone, uh, the specificity of mobile media generally is actually really important. And, you know, even the difference between the platforms, between, um, you know, the, the platform that you're using, whether or not you're using an Android platform or or iOS, that makes a difference. Uh, whether or not you're using a, a Garmin versus a mobile phone to get your GPS position, that makes a difference. Like, all of this just makes a big difference. Um, and I think what I would recommend is once you sort of get a bit comfortable with Android Studio, start playing around with some of these settings and trying to uh, get uh, get access to them um, and to see whether or not you can actually create stuff um, that works that way, uh, that, that enables you to measure. Um, and so, yeah, I think... For me, I think this is particularly interesting, and I think as we see more and more peripherals, smart peripherals come into the market, uh, we're going to see really even more interoperability, interesting possibilities, and really concerning probabilities as well. Um, and so, it's not just watches; it's not just you know smart necklaces or bracelets. Um, you know, smart clothing, increasingly. Um, so you, you'll have uh, devices built into your clothing, but also the way in which your mobile devices then kind of report back to the central device in your house. Uh, and so um, thinking as well about uh, the way in which we can use something like AirPlay um, or whatever the Samsung version, looking at my television at the moment, it's a Samsung. Um, you can actually sort of send different media that you're watching across screens um, but also things like Alexa as well um, or Google Echo that plug you straight into uh, large-scale corporate purchasing sites like uh, like Amazon, uh, the way in which your fridge might... So it sort of relates as well to the Internet of Things, so smart fridges versus smart scales versus smart phones and um, how that might relate more generally to things like the quantified self data uh, that we gather. Uh, and I mean, we can also think about mobile media in terms of driver monitoring as well. Uh, so I don't know if it happens in the US, but in the UK, particularly if you're a younger driver, oh, it does because we looked at um, when Amy Propen was talking about um, critical GPS, she talked about an Avis example, um, you know, car monitoring. So the cars themselves are now also a form of mobile media. Uh, so the cars themselves can monitor you or you can add monitoring devices into any car to monitor driver behaviour. Uh, we're seeing the use of um, like cameras in uh, for like uh, people who are driving. So like, again, it's not just us walking around, um, but also the way in which different kinds of mobile media are integrating themselves into yeah, our driving practices. So there's little cameras at people, dash cams, um, to, to monitor 
what's happening around them. So at any point you might be being recorded. Um, the car itself as a kind of smart mobile object as well. Um, the car I'm driving at the moment, we hired a car because we're in lockdown again. And, um, but it has its inbuilt GPS device. Um, it has cameras so you can see the back of it when you're reversing. I mean, back in my day, we used to just use our eyes, but now we have a camera at the back of the car to make sure that we don't hit anything and at the front to make sure we don't hit anything. I mean, cars themselves will now park themselves. Apparently I've seen adverts for fancy cars that do that. And driverless vehicles increasingly as well are mobile media devices. And I mean, you know, there's a question about what happens when you think about a driverless car as a mobile media device. Um, we can also think about things like the, the use of drones as well. Uh, and so... Um, you can actually use different drones um, where you can see what they're filming on your phone. So you can download an app and you can see um, what it can see through your phone. And again, the predecessor for this kind of technology is seen in um, this really weird thing that you could happen on your phone where you could take a picture of... Uh, like you, Basically, you could see what your camera could see on your phone. Um, so you could leave your camera somewhere and... Sorry, that didn't make sense. You could see what your phone's camera could see on your watch. So you could leave your phone's camera somewhere and then you could see what that camera could see on your watch. And so, in theory, you could stick your camera on a pole and see what's on top of the fridge. If you can't find something, I've got a really great picture of a mise on a beam where I've got a photo of my watch with the photo of my watch in it at infinitum uh, on my Twitter profile, which is like one of my favorite pictures. Uh, but you can sort of begin again to see this, this extendability as well of the functions of things like the phone into different devices um, that are perhaps even more mobile. I mean, people attach GoPros and shit to their dog. Uh, like there's actually like, you know, all this stuff um, where people have like, you know, monitors on their pets um, I mean, people also, like, there's this other politics as well of, like, monitoring your kids on their phone, and not just their phone use, but where they are. Like, plenty of people buy their children a phone and install these tracking apps, like nanny apps that uh, tell you where your kid is and how long they've been there. Um, and I think, again, it's the, the mobility combined with the GPS um, that just really enables the phone to, to do different kinds of monitoring than you would normally get with just basic cartographic media on a web page or a website. And I remember maybe Quebec and Lynn maybe talking at the beginning of the year about um, their experiences using their tracking apps at, um, in, in South Korea when they went back and how if the phone was idle for a certain amount of time, so those acceleration crystals hadn't been triggered, then the phone would buzz just to make sure that you're still there. So you get all these different possibilities. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of what I want to talk this week specifically about mobile media as a very particular and peculiar combination, collection of different hardware uh, that can be accessed by a single piece of software. And really, you're only limited in terms of what you can access on a phone by the permissions that a user gives you. Um, 
there are all different kinds of ways in which you can get access to different parts uh, of the phone. So I would recommend have a play, have a look at your phone, see what kind of hardware is in there, and then go back to that iPhone deconstruction uh, that we looked at in one of the first weeks, um, the sort of big thing of all the different kinds of technology that had to be developed in order for the phone to work, uh, and just think a little bit about, and I mean, as well, like, you can also attach things to your phone. Uh, there's so many possibilities here. Um, and going forward, when we start talking about sensors and sensory media, and we're going to start talking about then the next in the final week about um, like AR and VR. We'll explore these questions a little bit more um, in a little bit more detail. Just thinking, like we know that a phone has a camera, and we know that a phone can use a GPS device. We know a phone can call people. Um, we still call it a phone, even though I don't think I've actually used my phone to call anybody in quite a while. Uh, so, um, you know, we'll start exploring, I think, a little bit, some of the more, the newer affordances of that. Um, but I mean, yeah, I don't know, question marks. There's so much you could do here. Um, really keen to hear your thoughts about it. Um, my phone's quite old. Some of you, I think, probably have much fancier devices. Um, some of you may even have drones. Uh, I would love to hear from you if you do. I'm planning on buying some, but have not yet been able to. Um, so, yeah, I think I'd really like be keen to hear um, your thoughts on mobile meters specifically as this a different form. And I mean, even just to the point where you can you have so much more control over the appearance of the app uh, as well. Uh, anyway, I will let you guys stew on that. Um, and yeah, I oh, also, Ari, your assignments, I'm hoping to get them back if you've submitted them today, fingers crossed. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's my plan is to actually use the time that we would normally be teaching to really finalize those marks. They're all looking pretty good. I'm actually really pleased and I'm really excited to see your projects as well. Like I think it's going to be great fun uh, in that final week. So I'll leave you with that. 50 minutes. I have stopped rambling nearly so much. Um, and I'll see you next week for fun and joy with uh, sensors and sensory media. And I am just about to do the uh, final videos for the augmented reality media. Uh, it took a little bit longer just because of our good friends, the iPhone users. Uh, and I just needed to figure out uh, some of the minor settings, because as you will all see, it's again, slightly different, um, but still totally manageable. Um, and I'll take you through some of that uh, later. So big thumbs up from me. Uh, thank you for listening once again to my rambles. Um, but I hope I've managed to contextualize that a little bit more for you. Uh, and I hope you're listening to me where it is sunny and warm and happy making and that you have left the house and you can just close your eyes and listen and not have to think about what is happening in Nevada. And until then, uh, I'll see you next week.